Well, hello all, it's Craig again here from the Man on Podcast. And in this tactical breakdown of FPL game week 36, I'm going to have a look at Brighton ahead of their double game week of two away games versus Arsenal and Newcastle. So, obviously in game week 35, um, Brighton suffered an unexpected 5-1 home defeat to Everton. And I think that's thrown a slight spanner in the works for many managers this week, predominantly for two reasons. One, obviously they've got... Tony March got injured, um, and so he may be in your teams. And the second point is that can we now trust the Brighton defence after such a result, bearing in mind they're obviously playing against two superior attacking teams here. So we'll try and have a look at all of that. And um, we'll start with sort of what mainly went wrong for Brighton versus Everton. So the, the, the general Brighton philosophy is to, to hold the ball deeper, I guess, in their half of the defenders. And then to try and goad the opposition into, into pressing the defenders. Um, in turn, this then drags the opponent out of a compact shape and in theory opens up more space for Brighton up the pitch with when the opposition starts to press them. Brighton have quite high technical players. Um, so when they begin to be pressed, they can pass through the lines quickly and efficiently. And I say that should hopefully maximise the extra space they've been afforded up the pitch because of that. The, the issue versus Everton was that Sean Dyer should clearly instructed his team uh, not to be drawn out of this compact shape. Um, so Brighton tried numerous ways to sort of make this happen. Um, and I had a look at the, the first half heat map um, for the game. And the heat map showed that Danny Welbeck and Dennis Undav were typically, at least in formation, the two most advanced Brighton players. You could argue two strikers. Um, the heat map showed that in... In theory, they were the two deepest players for Brighton in the build-up. So the only two players that had a on the heat map were deeper throughout the first half were actually the two centre defenders and obviously the goalkeeper. But of all of the outfield players, it was just Duncan Webster that had a a more a deeper starting position um, or average position than, than those two attacking players. So that, I think that tells you a story how deep those two came to try and drag Everton up the pitch, try and drag the Everton defenders up the pitch. And that would in turn obviously make space in behind if they could drag Everton defenders up for the likes of Matoma and March and Bonotti and players like that to run into. So Brighton were playing with, or playing in a 2-3-5 structure in their attacking play. And what basically happened was the central the central area of the pitch was was very overloaded. So Brighton had both fullbacks inverting and effectively, they had six players sort of in their midfield box, if you want to call it that, ahead of the two centre-backs. So the two centre-backs had the ball, had a central box of six players to try and feed the ball into. And then there was uh, the two wide players that basically held the width. The issue was that, say, Everton weren't applying any pressure on the ball. So particularly Adam Webster, when he had it at right centre-back, he had no real obvious distribution channel to pass the ball into. Uh, and what really happened was Everton effectively allowed him to just to continue to carry the ball forward. He just carried on moving forward and forward, looking for a pass. All Everton did was stay man for man on all of the passing options and Webster just kept bringing the ball forward and ultimately got to a point where he didn't have anywhere to go. He carried it so far forward that he was looking for somewhere to distribute, didn't have one. Um, by Webster being dragged so far forward, Lewis Dunk, the other centre-back, was left 1v1 versus Calvert-Lewin. And there was just so much space um, for Brighton to be to be counter-attacked. So that invariably happened. Webster got so high, then had to try and feed a pass into someone who was being marked. 
Um, possession got turned over. And then the Brighton right side was was wide open. Webster was obviously out of position being so high. Pascal Gross had inverted into midfield and was also playing high, trying to supply a passing option for, for Webster. Um, and there was just so much space. Dwyer McNeil obviously was such a factor. He did really well in FPL terms. And he got 20-odd points in the game. And that's the reason why his side of the pitch was basically completely vacated. Everton released him when they turned the ball over. They had two athletes in midfield, Decore and Iwobi, who broke quickly. And sort of this trio of, of counter-attackers then, with Calvert-Lewin, who had obviously retained the higher starting position, just took maximum advantage of all of this space that Brighton had offered. And Brighton really struggled to recover into their defensive shape quickly. And Everton just blitzed them on the counter-attack. So many may now quite correctly view this as a way to beat Brighton, to, to not be suckered into to pressing the defenders and allowing that space, just drop into a very deep block, make sure all the passing options are open and basically force one of the Brighton defenders to play a pass they don't want to play or to travel into an area of the pitch they don't want to travel into with the ball. The issue for this double game week is that's very unlikely to be a tactic that either Arsenal or Newcastle will, will adopt. Um, let's look at the games individually. So Arsenal and Brighton are, are pretty similar in the sense they look to play a possession-based game. They look to dominate in central areas. They've got a fluid left-side trio interchange positions. They've got a direct dribbler down the left-hand side and they've got a left-footed player down the right-hand side who likes to sort of stay high and wide. So I'm not saying that, that one's copied the other, but the, the way they look to play is, is very similar. Subtle differences, but very similar. Um, so these two played previously on New Year's Eve. Arsenal won that game 4-2 away. And a key factor in that game, looking back, was Gabriel Martinelli. So on that occasion, Brighton played Tariq Lamptey at right back. And he um, played more like what you'd call a typical fullback, I guess, in terms of retaining width. Um, I say if Brighton played 3-2-5 or 2-3-5 in attacking build-up, the right back would either be asked to become part of the back three or to invert into midfield to exert control. So when Veltman plays right back, he often inverts into the back three. Lately, we've had Gross playing right back and he inverts into midfield. Lamptey didn't really do either in that game. He was more like a what you call a normal right back or traditional right back. Um, so that obviously meant he still got forward on the overlap and, and things like that. And is that's naturally more of his game. And Marcelo did very well at attacking the space that was in behind Lamptey. And he was certainly the, the main Arsenal outlet in that game. Um, Brighton dominated possession. I think they had like 60, 65% possession. Arsenal played unusually for them, slightly more on the counter-attack, gave up more possession, didn't look to control the game in the way they typically would. But it was effective in that away game with Brighton. I say, and especially Martinelli on the heat maps for that game was so much was so much more higher than the likes of Saka and Enketia, I think it was, who played that game, who you might expect to be sort of on a similar horizontal line with Martinelli, he was he wasn't he was so much higher. So they basically left him as the wide outlet down the left in the space behind Lamptey. This game um might be slightly different in three main ways. Firstly Arsenal obviously at home this time. So will there be pressure from the fans not to sit back in defensive shape at home and let Brighton run the game, dictate the game. I, I probably expect this to be more 50-50 in terms of possession. I don't expect Arsenal to flip reverse and have 70% for this one. But certainly more 50-50. I don't think Arsenal will be sat back except in sort of 30% possession here. Although, in theory, I think that, let's say, as we learned from Everton and the way they played against Brighton the first time, 
it may be better for Arsenal to maybe adapt to a slightly more a counter-attacking style. Because I think one thing we can say is that Brighton probably won't change their philosophy. I think the fact they've obviously just suffered a heavy defeat, the fact they're playing away to a team that's still in title contention, you might think, oh, hang on, Brighton might shore it up a little bit this time and play more defensive. I don't think that's Deserby's way. And I think Brighton may be hoping... Um, I suppose they could, they could be hoping that Arsenal being at home may be forced to play a bit more on the front foot. And if they do do that, Brighton can use that to their advantage because they more bodies Arsenal commit forward, the more space they're leaving behind that Brighton can then make use of. But I say this game could be more in favour for Brighton than, than the home game was because possession will be more even and Arsenal may be generally more committed to, to putting bodies forward. So the second fact, I kind of just touched on it a little bit, is who Brighton might be playing at right back here. It certainly won't be Lamptey, I don't think. Um, so Pascal Gross has been used there quite a lot lately. And say his role when he plays right back is to invert into midfield. Um, if he does that here, and Brighton do use him at right back, that could further increase the space afforded to Martinelli, uh, who could be a bit more like, um, like Dwight McNeil in the sense of, um, if Arsenal can turn the ball over quickly, he's going to be an outlet that they can release. I think it's becoming clear lately. Obviously, it's quite an, an in-vogue thing for fullbacks to invert into midfield. And I think it's a good thing for the teams in, in attacking game states, um, extra control in midfield, things like that. Um, so, yeah, these these positive elements to playing positionally a midfielder at fullback, they're generally more secure in possession with their midfield upbringing. They've got good good technical quality. So there's obviously the likes of Zinchenko at the moment, the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Pascal Gross. Um, they're allowing their teams um, to dominate central areas. However, defensively, all of these players tend to be a little shaky. They're not great 1v1 defenders. Um, and if you can isolate them as a fullback, where obviously they are in defensive shape, you can get at them. And I think that's probably where Man City may have the edge at the moment. Uh, they're using John Stones as their midfield in, uh, defender, in, inverting into midfield. Um, who at the moment at least is showing similar levels of capability in possession to those other players in terms of keeping the ball moving, in terms of not giving the ball away, in terms of passing to a teammate and just say, just facilitating attacking play. But obviously Stones is a far better defender than the likes of Zinchenko and, and Gross. So I think they're on the right lines, teams like Arsenal, teams like Brighton in, in, inverting. But maybe there's going to be a need in the next 12 to 18 months to find a player who's sort of a better 1v1 defender to to adopt that role. Um, just a thought. Um, because, say, Gross isn't a natural defender. So if Martinelli is given space with Gross inverting, that's a, a threat. And even if Martinelli gets 1v1 against Gross out wide um, and is allowed to run at him, you'd expect Martinelli to come out on top more often than not in that situation. So that's going to be, in terms of matchups on the pitch, Martinelli v the Brighton right back, I think, is going to be the most critical and may have a big bearing on how the, how the result goes. The best solution for Brighton is probably to play Veltman at right back. Now, he's been injured lately. I think before the, the Everton game, he was borderline going to be fit. So, again, I don't know. I haven't heard an update on whether he's fit for this. I think they'll try and get him fit for this, though. Maybe that was the reason he didn't play against Everton, to give him a few more days of rest and recovery for this game. And he offers a far better balance opposite Estepina and yet left back for, for Brighton. So Veltman, as I said, can form part of the back three. He's, he's more of a natural to, to shuffle across into there. And 
offers better balance for Brighton to play the 3-2-5 build-up, a bit like Ben White does for Arsenal, really. He does the same when Zinchenko inverts into midfield. Also, with, with Veltman, he can offer a threat from, from full-back. Um, we've seen from Ben White lately that he, he is creeping up with a few assists, getting around the outside um, a little bit, whereas Zinchenko's thought is always to come inside. Um, it's quite nice for Arsenal if they do get some some territory and some secure possession that Ben White's released to impact the game attacking-wise and can get around the outside. And I think um, Veltman offers that for Brighton as well from right back. There's Gross, again, more naturally to come inside. Veltman can go around the outside. And I imagine Buonanotte will play right midfield with no march and he tends to come inside as well. So that offers that outlet for, for Brighton that, Veltman, that um, Gross won't allow them. The third pack for Everton, um, for Brighton even, is that Evan Ferguson's available here. So they played Trossard up uh, to centre forward last time. Uh, they played Arsenal. And obviously big differences between the skill sets and characteristics of Evan Ferguson compared to Trossard. Um, Ferguson, obviously the more the more deadly striker of the two. Also the better focal point, uh, more physical, uh, more dynamic, I would say. And I'd say just generally a better outlet. Trossard's got his strengths, but I'd say as, as a rounded centre forward to lead the line, um, I don't think there's any doubt that Ferguson's skill set's the superior one. Um, and he should help Arsenal secure, uh, should help Brighton secure possession higher up the pitch. So I think he'll make a big difference if he's available. I think they may start him here. Hasn't started yet since he's come back from injury, but obviously had a big impact coming on at half-time in the, in the Everton game. So they may start him here. My prediction is, I think I'm going to go for a 3-1 Arsenal win. So the two teams are quite similar, but I think Arsenal just generally have better quality across the pitch. Um, and I say I'm, I'm worried about Martinelli versus the Brighton right side. So I, I think Brighton will still score, but I'll go 3-1 Arsenal. On to Brighton's second game, and that's away to Newcastle. And a very different challenge here for Brighton. So Newcastle, a team whose whole style is based around front foot pressing, winning the ball high up the pitch. And it's a complete contrast in styles, really. You've got a pressing team versus a team which wants to be pressed. So in terms of a matchup, it's a great game for the neutral to watch. Um, like Arsenal have, Newcastle got home advantage. Um, and I think the key for Brighton is to do what Arsenal did recently against Newcastle and just survive the opening 20 minutes. Um, Arsenal were under the cost for the opening 20 minutes, obviously survived the handball. A um, few, few big moments for Newcastle. Murphy hit the post. Um, I think the home support will be intense for Newcastle the first 15-20 minutes so if, if Brighton can get through that period unscathed I think that will be a big win for them um, obviously the way they play in terms of controlling game dominating possession holding on to the ball I think it does give them the chance to quiet the crowd um, and the way again the way Brighton play in terms of committing so many bodies into the central zone of the pitch so the attacking players all drop into that phase and get a little bit of inversion from fullback. You've also got central midfielders already in that position. Brighton could end up with five or six players in that central zone. So I, I expect them to get overloads. And we saw from Aston Villa recently against Newcastle that Villa used their wide players quite centrally. And Wendia was playing centre forward and dropped deep as well. So Villa had tend to have five players in a central zone and Brighton didn't really cope. Sorry, Newcastle didn't really cope with that. And that was the reason that one of the reasons that Villa did so well and Watkins in particular was such a, a big impact on that game. So... Brighton, not they don't play the same way as Villa, but they do have the scope to to dominate in central areas in the same way Villa did. So that might be to their advantage. Also, Fabian Scher, um in a Newcastle defence is usually doesn't mind being dragged into midfield. So if if Brighton are going to use a Welbeck or a Ferguson or an Undav, um, 
and use them to how it tends to work is Brighton centre backs look for that player dropping from from high up the pitch into space. That player, whether it's say let's use Welbeck as an example, receives it, drops the ball back to a McAllister or a Caicedo, and then play builds from there. Um, and I'd say defenders tend to be dragged up the pitch with the attacker sometimes. So, so share can be manipulated like this, if you want to use that phrase. Um, so that gives maybe some scope for Matoma here um, to make some inverted runs from from out wide on the left into that vacated space from Cher, um, in between Trippier and Botman. He's a lightning quick Matoma, but he is two-footed and he's quite dynamic. Um, so that game state could suit him in terms of if he can get one-on-one v, um, v Botman, I think he could, um, could have some big chances in this game. Kind of touched on it earlier that Brighton's strongest characteristic is their technical quality. So they don't have any real pace in the team, I wouldn't say. They can lack some physicality in certain areas and some dynamism in certain areas. But say their, their main trait is that they have great security in possession, great technical players. And I think that's quite vital for this fixture. Newcastle's game, I say, is built around higher pressing. They've got physical specimens in their team that can, can dominate games. Um. And in a way, I think this game reminds me a little bit of some of those old school Barcelona games when Jevin and Iniesta, Messi and all those were playing under Guardiola, that you've got one team full of smaller technical players and they're trying to deal with a more physical opponent that are built, built around sort of pace and power. And I think that's what this game really is. Brighton, technical quality, tactics, overloads to try and manipulate the opposition who are going to try and dominate them with higher press, with pace, and I say with power. So... I think it's in in terms of matchups. This is as, perhaps as interesting as it gets. It was nil nil earlier in the season between these two, but it was in August when obviously Brighton had a different manager, Eddie Howe. I think was still working on how he wanted Newcastle to play. So I think this game will be very different to that game. Brighton dominated that game. Wouldn't be surprised again if they kind of run this game, even though they're away the away team. It doesn't mean they're going to win the game. It just means that they'll be on the front foot and maybe dictating a bit more. Certainly, I feel like this is a more winnable game for Brighton than the Arsenal one. But again, I, I think I do expect them to concede. I'm going to, I'm going to predict a draw here. One all, two all, score draw. Two all, I'll go for. Um, so to summarise then, I think it's tough to expect Brighton to keep a clean sheet. Um, not really a biggest surprise, bearing in mind they're playing away to two of the better attacking teams in the league. If you've got Jason Steele, I think he could get save points. Probably, I think, expecting Brighton to concede sort of four goals is probably reasonable in this. So appearance points and some save points. Make your own decision if you think that's enough points to get more than a single game week goalkeeper. If they've got, if you've got a Kepper or a Raya or a De Gea or something, um, I think I'd definitely be benching Dunk if I had him in favour of a higher upside single game week defender. I wouldn't be benching Trent, for example, to to play Lewis Dunk. I think his Supernan is a harder case because of his attacking threat, but he's ceiling realistically is probably two starts and one assist. Again, make your own judgments if you think single game week defenders might score more than that. I think in midfield. Matoma will be the main att- attacking outlet in both games, certainly the Newcastle game. He's obviously dangerous. Um, he's, he's their main sort of dynamic threat. And at the moment, he's their most experienced sort of attacker. If you're looking at, they could end up with a front four in some of these games of Enciso, Buonate, um, Ferguson and Matoma. If that happens, then I think there'll be a, a, a reliability on, on Matoma having an impact. So definitely be playing him. Um one thing that probably is worth pointing out is if you've got McAllister or you're thinking about getting him in for March, which obviously makes sense, um, I think there is a possibility that at least one of these two games he plays as a number 10 again. 
or higher up the pitch. Because um, if Veltman's back, I expect that Brighton will use Gross alongside Caicedo in midfield. So Gross plays in the role that McAllister's been playing in lately. And that should free up McAllister to go and play slightly higher up the pitch. So if you've got both, I think it's a no-brainer to start both. There is an argument maybe you would consider benching. Well, I know there's quite a lot of teams this week with eight strong attackers. So someone needs to be benched. So I may have looked at these fixtures and thought, oh, it's two hard away games for Brighton. Maybe I'll bench one. Um, I probably wouldn't. So I think McAllister could play one game at least as a 10. Maybe even both if Feltman's back and available. Yeah, so that's how I see the double going for Brighton. Hope that's helped in in, in some ways with your decisions. Um, in my case, I only own um, Matoma and McAllister, so I'll be playing both. This is one of the reasons I didn't get a defender in because I didn't want the headache of trying to pick between an Estupan and a, and a single-game-week defender where, I, where it felt like a right headache. Um, I didn't really foresee um, Brighton keeping a clean sheet in either of these two games. If anything, I would have been getting them in for the Everton game last week and obviously that wouldn't have gone well. So just a two Brighton for me, but I think it's it's more than feasible they could score three or four goals. It's more than feasible they could, they're likely to concede three or four goals. So yeah, that's where I stand with them. Um, thanks for listening and I'll be back doing another fixture or fixtures for, for game week 37. Cheers all.